Muslim Chat presents Heroes of Islam, a 30-part series on the lives of some of the greatest Muslims to walk this earth. Ahmed ibn Mehran said, I was walking with Abu Mas'ud al-Razi in the market of Ismahan, Ismahan and we started to mention the virtues of Sufyan al-Thawri. So Abu Mas'ud al-Razi turned to me and he said, I hope that Allah will forgive us by mentioning the virtues of Sufyan al-Thawri. So inshallah, today we will mention the virtues of a man who is the most virtuous from any of the people to come into Islam after the Sahaba. As Sufyan ibn Uyayna said that, I looked at the Sahaba and I looked at Abdullah ibn al-Mubarak and I did not see any virtue of the Sahaba over Abdullah except with their companionship of the Prophet وسلم, and their battles with him. Meaning after the Sahaba, the most closest in terms of good deeds and virtues to them was Abdullah ibn al-Mubarak. Ismail ibn Ayyash said that there is not a good deed or a good characteristic that Allah has revealed except he has put, Abdul, except he has put it in Abdullah ibn al-Mubarak. Abdullahabi says, I love him and I hope that by my love for him, Allah will forgive me for my sins. And interestingly in the hadith, it says that the Prophet or a man came to the Prophet and said, you know, when is the hour? And the Prophet was to him, what have you prepared for it? And the man said, I've not prepared a lot, but I love Allah and his Rasul. So Anas ibn Malik was there listening to this, and then he narrates that, I love Allah and his Rasul, and I love Umar, and I love Abu Bakr. And I hope that by their love, I will be able to be with them in Jannah. He was born in the year 118 after Hijrah, and he died in the year 181 after Hijrah. So he lived 63 years. And subhanAllah, the Prophet lived 63 years. Abu Bakr lived 63 years, and Umar lived 63 years. So it could just be a coincidence, or maybe there is some virtue behind it. Now, the one thing about Abdullah ibn al-Mubarak is every time you look at something nice or even just something plain that you would think is normal, he did. He always did it with something in the back of his mind, so he would do it if there was a benefit. And so the Prophet said that the best names to name your children are Abdurrahman and Abdullah. Now, it's not confirmed if Abdullah ibn al-Mubarak had children. There's not really much talk about it. can't be found. But his kunya was Abu Abdul Rahman. And it was from this hadith that he took that kunya because of that virtue. Although, and here's an interesting point, especially for some of us that we may be a bit old and we may think that we cannot practice Islam anymore we've been lagging behind. But Abdullah ibn Mubarak, for the majority of his young life, he was into playing and like just wasting time. So it is narrated that one day he met Abu Hanifa and Abu Hanifa said, you know, tell me about yourself. How did you become who you are today? And Abdullah says, I used to be a young lad in my late teens that used to be playing around and just wasting time until I would pass out into the night. Because one day I was with my brothers, meaning like friends here, 
and we were just playing around with some instruments and drinks and whatnot, not like alcohol, but like Nabif, that was a drink back then in Kufa, which could have an intoxicating effect after a while. But they were playing and they passed out. And Abdullah had a dream that a bird came into the dream and started to recite this ayah. So the ayah is saying that has the time not come for those those who believe that they should that their hearts should become fearful of Allah and what He has revealed. So then when Abdullah heard this, he woke up and he says, Bala, he says, Verily, and at that moment he made Toba and sat about his ways right and he broke all the instruments and at the time he was around late teens or around 20 but for the time being he stayed in his hometown tried to learn but by the age of 23 it is 141 after hijrah now he set out for the first like rihla, the first travel for the sake of knowledge and interesting there's a story mentioned that uh, abdullah ibn mubarak was given something like forty thousand dirhams by his father and his father says go do business with these so abdullah spends all of that money in that pursuit of knowledge and then uh, his father comes to him after some years and says yeah abdullah what have you done with the forty thousand dirhams have you increased it or anything is uh, yeah i did a lot of good business he says okay what is your business and he says here are the books so his father gets a bit angry and he's like, uh, I'm going to burn your books. So Abdullah says, okay, go ahead, you can burn them. But all the knowledge is in my heart. I've already memorized all of them. So his father says, okay. Then he gives him 30,000 dirhams and says, go do actual business with this. And he does the same thing again. Despite this, he becomes what the most richest person in that time. That He becomes so rich that there's a incident that later on in his life he would give people 70,000 dirhams or not 70,000 dirhams 70,000 dinars so one dinar is like 12 dirhams so he started out with a much smaller amount of money but due to his, the barakah that Allah put in his life it became something much greater once a man came to Sufyan authority and you know asked him a question and then uh, Sufyan says uh, where are you from and he says I'm from Mashriq in the the eastern land, so from Khurasan, this is where Abdullah ibn Mubarak was born. In. <clears throat> and uh, Sufyan says to him, uh, Don't you have an alim there? Like, yeah, I have a, they, I have someone named Abdullah ibn Mubarak there. And Sufyan says, Yeah, he is the most knowledgeable people of the eastern land, so the Mashriq. So then uh, the man says, Are you sure? And he's like, yes, he's the most knowledgeable of Mashriq and the Maghrib. And that is where the saying comes that Abdullah ibn Mubarak is the scholar of the East and the West. And he really was like the most complete in all of his deeds. Um, the incidents and everything we could go through for a very long time of every good deed he ever did. But just to highlight a few points and then see where one of the secrets that was that led him to become what he became. So firstly, he wasn't like growing around ulama, so can't say like his society made him amazing or his parents made him amazing. Although his father was a muttaqi, his father was very cautious in anything he did. It is narrated that uh, when his father was young, he used to work in the crops of a person 
the, the master of that area. And then one day the master says to him, you know, go get me a pomegranate. And Mubarak is Abdullah's father gets him a pomegranate. And uh, the master takes a bite out of it. And he's like, this is sour. Go get me a sweet one. Why are you doing this? Abdullah goes, he grabs another pomegranate. And then the master says, I told you to get a sweet one. Then Mubarak says, I've never tasted one of your pomegranates in my life, though. Says, why not? Because you've never gave me permission to do so. So his, the master got so surprised by this that he says, you know, you're a righteous person and I see that I should marry my daughter to you. So then Mubarak gave a nice response and he says, in Jahiliya, women were married for their lineage, their beauty and their wealth. But when Islam came, all of these became secondary. And the main reason they were married for is deen. So indirectly saying, you know, if she's a good deen, good deen I will marry her. <clears throat> so at the shock of this response, the master, he goes to his wife and he says, you know, I don't see anyone more suited for our daughter except Mubarak. And they got married. And from this righteous spouse came Abdullah ibn al-Mubarak. Imam Ahmed said about him that no one sought knowledge like he did in his time. What's very interesting is there are very few people in history where you would get around with people and sit down and say, let us mention their virtues. But Ibn al-Mubarak, after his death, his students and his friends used to say that, let us get around and just mention the virtues of Ibn al-Mubarak. And Ibn Imad al-Hambali says that I found 50 good characteristics in him. <clears throat> it is said that he, if he ever wanted to do something, he would become the best in it. So in fiqh, he became one of the best from the fuqaha. But despite this, he had a lot of um, humbleness. He never ever thought of himself as great. SubhanAllah. He used to say that the worst thing that a Muslim can be afflicted with is self-amazement. Because the minute you start to think you're great, <clears throat> you're going to just stagnate over there and not go forward. And that's why you say that uh, a person is knowledgeable so long as they seek knowledge. But once they stop seeking knowledge, they become ignorant. Once a man came to him and says, I see myself better than the person who has murdered or killed wrongfully. So Abdullah says, you have become worse than the person now. Your self-amazement has made you become worse than the one who killed wrongfully. Because it may be that the person who does the major sin has more regret and Allah will forgive him. But your arrogance at thinking you're great will lead you into the fire of Jahannam. His habit later on in his life after in a few years of hands of the Muslim year, he used to do Hajj one year and he used to go into Ribat the next year. So Ribat is like uh, defending the borders of the Muslimin. And lots of the incidents are mentioned around Atarasus, where he would go around and defend there. On his first expedition in jihad, he went out to the battlefield and started to cry. Then uh, I believe it was Hiban ibn Abi Musa who said to him, you know, why are you crying? And he says, that this is the actual fiqh, this is the actual knowledge that you have to implement it this way. And you should also admonish other people to this. You know, it's interesting, in our time, it seems to be like uh, we become very uh, focused on just learning and less implementation, but in, 
No, Barak's time used to be like, what is the matter with these uh, Quran and these people sitting in Baghdad? Like he said in a poetic way, but he was saying also like, Baghdad is the city of kings, not the city of worshippers. The borders are the, are the cities of worshippers. Come here and come to these lands. Not become miser Quran who just recite Quran for the sake of people. Another interesting thing is that it didn't matter if he was staying in his hometown where he was traveling. He would always pray the Hajjud every single night. And sometimes, you know, people try to find out because he was so careful in trying to hide his good deeds that people had to try and like trick him to find out if he actually uh, was doing any good deed. So it is narrated that Muhammad bin Ayyun traveled with him to partake in a battle. And they were in the near the Roman lands and everyone went to sleep, right? So Muhammad bin Ayyun was like acting as if he was like sleeping on a spear. So he was standing guard, but he was acting like he was sleeping with his eyes closed and then he heard a movement. So he opened his eyes a little bit to see Ibn al-Mubarak run over to the forest. Then he decided to like look over and see what's going on. He saw Ibn al-Mubarak was praying the entire night. And right before Fajr, Ibn al-Mubarak comes to, you know, wake him up and he's like, uh, you know, it's time to wake up, let's go. Uh, so this was Ibn al-Mubarak's way to trick them and say like, you know, I was asleep the whole night. Muhammad bin Ayyun says, oh, but I've been awake the whole night. So Ibn al-Mubarak didn't like this. And after that, they never talked to him until he died. This was like the extreme ikhlas he had. And this was probably the thing that made him what he was. Even in battle, it is said that one day a Roman soldier, a very strong Roman soldier, came forth and he said to the Muslim, who will come out and duel me? So one Muslim went and the Roman soldier defeated him. Second one went, same thing happened. Until six went. And then Ibn Mubarak was standing there and the person narrating this from Ibn Mubarak says that, uh, he said to me, do you think I should go duel him? Then he, the narrator says, yes, I think you should. So Ibn al-Mubarak goes there, defeats the guy, defeats the second person, defeats the third person, and then he says, anybody else want to do? And nobody was willing to come up to him. Like, they were just scared out of there. They were completely scared to even approach him. At this point, they were just backing off. And then it says that it's as if he just disappeared in front of their eyes. He turned into their ranks, started fighting. And then the narrator says, before I knew it, he was standing right beside me again. Then Ibn Mubarak says, what, what happened? <laughs> so another um, incident is that he used to wear a mask when he would fight at times. But due to his bravery, people would try and come and find out who you are. So one day, someone came up from behind him, took off his mask. Ibn Mubarak got mad and he's like, why are you exposing me? Another... Uh, Thing about one of his virtues, and there's really a lot. May Allah have mercy on him, but just to highlight some of his caliber and giving charity, let's say. One day he wanted to do Hajj, so he got the people of his city and he says, who wants to do Hajj? About 10 people came forth. So I said to them, you know, uh, let's put all of our money in a box and we'll use this as funds until the Hajj trip. Okay. So they went along the way and Ibn Mubarak didn't open the box the entire time. 
and you would buy them gifts. You would pay for their uh, necessities. You would like take them to tours and whatnot. Pay for in that time you could say what are hotels along the way. He ended up spending his own money only in that, not any of their money. So they got to Hajj, and as they were coming back, you know, Ibn Mubarak was like, "Oh, I remember the mall box. I have to give back your money and what you guys give." So what Ibn Mubarak did was a little trick. He put some of his own money in so that everyone got more than what they put. So he knew what the maximum amount of one individual was, right? And they didn't know. So he just put a little bit more than the maximum of the person who gave the most. So it was as if everyone just got more. So everyone was amazed. They're like, we didn't put this much and we got more in his neck. And it is a true principle, but he was trying to you know, hide his good deed in this, that he said, Whenever, you know, you put wealth collectively, Allah puts barakah in it. And this is actually true that, you know, zakat was usually given in groups. So there was barakah in that. <clears throat> there is an incident mentioned that uh, he found a poor lay or poor girl in, you know, searching through garbage can. Some say it was a girl, some say it was a lady. But uh, anyways, he said to her, you know, this haram. She says, no, it is haram for you, but it is halal for me because I'm poor, so I have to eat what I can. So Ibn Mubarak says, you know, take me to your house. And he found the condition of her house and it was poor, right? So he had like some amount of dinars, a very large sum. And he just took out a bag of dinars and gave it to her and says, you know, keep this and use it to spend on your case, but don't tell anyone I gave you this. But as is the case, Allah reveals the good deeds of the righteous after their death. Another very interesting thing about Ibn al-Mubarak is that if he were to make a dua, it would be answered on the spot. Abu Wahab narrates that one day Ibn al-Mubarak you know, passed by a blind man. The blind man says, I ask you to supplicate to Allah for me to make my blindness go away. Ibn al-Mubarak made a dua and right in the moment the blind man was cured. But then Ibn Mubarak turns to Abu Wahab and says, don't tell anyone as long as I'm alive what you saw. So extreme ikhlas. And this extreme ikhlas made him what he was. Like, subhanAllah. There's nothing that you can say, like, he had some great teachers, or he had some great parents that were telling him to go to the deep. But it is characteristic from his own heart. And nobody has ever come on earth that has been like Ibn Mubarak. If there was a good deed, he was the best in it. Al-Hassan says, and I don't think this is Hassan al-Basri, but it may be. It is said that whenever, you know, he would go on a trip with any of his companions, he used to be the best in characteristic and used to be the best in serving them. Despite his, uh, you know, sour relationship with his dad early on, he would never be mean to him. So it is said that someone was backbiting one day in front of him and he said to him, if you have to backbite, then backbite your parents so that they get your good deeds. The majority of ulama, they say that when you wrong somebody, you should ask for their forgiveness as well. Ibn al-Mubarak had an interesting approach to this. He said that if you backbite somebody, then the way to expiate the sin is to ask for their forgiveness. You know, ask Allah to forgive that person you backbite. So Sufyan ibn Uyayna was there and says, uh, and you should ask uh, their, for their forgiveness. And ibn Mubarak says, no, you shouldn't harm him twice. Meaning, you know, 
first one time you've already, you know, spread a bad rumor or a bad even fact for that sake about him, then why would you go and tell him that you've done that? That'll just make him even more in a worse condition and even more disheartened towards you. Even if he says, I forgive you in his heart, there'll still be like a thought of that this guy has spoken ill of me. <clears throat> he used to say that the believer has no land in this dunya or no state in this dunya. His state is in the akhirah in Jannah. Don't be attached to any land in this dunya in particular because your real home is supposed to be Jannah, the permanent abode. Interestingly, and as I said, Ibn al-Mubarak, whatever he did, there was something interesting from the Quran or the Sunnah to back it up. So his, his, he had a dua, very interesting one. He said that, Oh Allah, make me rich my entire life so that I may spend in your cause, but cause me to die as poor. So when he was dying, he was in the lap of somebody and this person asked him, was like, you know, why did you make this dua? And he says that, the first people to enter Jannah on Yom Al-Qiyam will be the poor. But I did not want to be from those who don't get for those. So I asked Allah to give me, you know, money as well. So I can get the good deeds to become in the ranks of those. But I could also be the first to enter Jannah. He used to say that uh, how many a carrier of the Quran are cursed by it. Meaning how many of the hafal, the memorizers there, the Quran curses them. This is whenever they sin. Quran says to them, this is not what you have memorized me for. Have you no shame of your Lord? He also used to say that sins slowly kill the heart and abandoning sins give life to the heart. From his books are Kitab al-Jihad that has reached us. He also has a Muslim that is still in our presence. And Kitab al-Zuhad al-Raqaiq. So that book is on about like the virtues of not having attachment to dunya. <clears throat> Interestingly enough, Fudayl uh, ibn Ayyad one day, he asked him, uh, you tell us that we should be um, ascetic, my bad. So one day Fudayl um, ibn Ayyad said that you command us to be ascetic, but uh, you yourself are rich. So why is that? You know, why are why do you tell us not to have love for the dunya, but you're so rich? So Abdullah ibn Mubarak says that I didn't do this except to save myself from shame. And this was the true case that, you know, he wasn't like rich for the sake of being rich or being in the presence of kings. On another case, he used to um, also be a very eloquent in his Arabic. So he was very poetic when he would speak. And the famous incident, although there is a lot of doubt as to the authenticity of this incident, but it's famously mentioned in the storybooks that uh, <clears throat> Ibn al-Mubarak sent a letter to Fadil uh, ibn Iyad while he was in jihad. And he says, you know, Fadil ibn Iyad was known as Ahabid al-Haramain, so the, the worshipper of the two mosques, because he would spend time in a lot of those places doing worship and spreading knowledge. So in, it's a long letter and can be found online, but uh, to sum it up, he basically says to him that, you know, your, your worship is mere play. Our worship is the real worship. You're, you're in the presence of perfume and good smells. For us, our perfume is the dust from our horses. From you dropping the tears down your cheek, 
but for us, our blood drops down our neck. And this is one of the most interesting things about him. That despite everything, he applied that hadith of the Prophet ﷺ that the peak of Islam or the highest point in Islam is jihad. The darwa or the pinnacle of the matter, meaning Islam, is jihad. It was said that, and I cannot remember who exactly, but I believe it was the wife of Harun al-Rashid that uh, one day Ibn al-Mubarak in the distance was there and people were surrounding him. So she said to Harun al-Rashid that uh, that is the type of person you should, who should be the Amir al-Mu'mineen, you know, because he is loved by the people, respected by the people. He has a haiba and influence over the people. The rumors like you guys are just, you know, hated by the people and avoided. He lived a noble life of good deeds and virtue. And Allah, we could go on and list down every single good quality and every incident but I think the point has been made that this person is from the best of the people and lastly before we talk about his and and what actually a nice dream that happened after he died but before that a his statement he made was mercy descends when the righteous are mentioned and indeed we hope that allah has mercy upon us by mentioning his virtues and his deeds allah be pleased with him it is said that ali ibn al-fudayl ibn Iyad, so the son of fudayl ibn Iyad, the person he sent a letter to it is said that after abdullah ibn mubarak passed away that ali saw in his dream uh, abdullah and he says asked him you know, what did you find your Lord did with you? And he said, uh, he forgave me. Or actually he says that, you know, what was the greatest deed that you found? And he said that the deed I, preoccup- I preoccupied myself with the most. And Ali said, you mean jihad and riba? And Ali says, yes. Or not Ali, Abdullah said, yes. So then Ali said, and what did your Lord do regarding this deed? And interestingly, here is where it comes. Abdullah said that Allah forgave me. With such a forgiveness that requires no forgiveness afterwards, I, he's saying I was guaranteed Jannah from that. And this is from the many hadith that the one who is in a ribab, his reward continues to Qiyamah. And it is also from a statement of Abdullah ibn Mas'ud that this person will be rewarded on the day of judgment because he spent time in Rabat. And Rabat is like, you know, defending the Muslim lands in a place where there's actual fear of an attack. So at times you would go to the Roman lands and at times you would go towards more eastern, towards the uh, the area which is like East Turkestan now, near China. But this is one of the virtues that people don't really want to mention nowadays. Allah allow us to follow in the footsteps of Abdullah ibn Mubarak and to even just taste maybe even a day from what the days of Abdullah ibn Mubarak lived. We ask Allah to grant us Jannah and Firdaus and give us the tawfiq to meet men like Abdullah ibn Mubarak in Jannah. Ameen. With that we conclude. Subhanak Allahumma bihamdika ashadu an la ilaha illa ant astaghfirka wa atubu ilayk. This was produced by the Muslim Chat Discord server, the best online forum run on the principles of the Quran and Sunnah. Find out more and join now at www.muslim.chat.